So what kind of spiritual resolutions have you made for the new year? We would invite you to join us today as we give you help for those resolutions coming up next. And this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hi there, and welcome to our series called Make Your Mark. We're focusing in on what it is to make our mark, spiritually speaking, in the world around us. It's part of our New Year's resolution series, again, Make Your Mark. We're looking at the principles for effective ministry. If that's something you long to be better at throughout the new year, Stick around, help is on the way. Won't you join us with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City? Let's catch up with today's broadcast and our teacher, Pastor Steve Converse now. More than anything, God wants your obedience, beloved. He wants your obedience. He doesn't want you to kind of try to figure out some big... He just wants you to obey day to day, moment by moment, more than anything, that's what he desires from you, from me. And that's why it's so important when we're, we come to ministry, when the apostles were going out, they weren't going out as some kind of prima donna. I'm going to do my own thing. No. You know, you see sometimes in ministry people like that. Sometimes there are even pastors like that. You know, they think somehow that their, their goal on Sunday morning is to be the, the, the chef and make this incredible meal for everybody. So they've got to come up with all this stuff. We're not the chef. I'm just the waiter. I'm just simply bringing the food to the table. And hopefully I don't mess it up in the process. Because God's word is the authority, not man's word. And that's why Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. We're all under that same commission, that divine commission by the Lord to obey his call, to go out and to present to the world, which is lost and dying under the judgment of God, we're called to present the gospel of Christ. You know, I'm under no delusion here. Not every believer is called to be a preacher or a teacher or a pastor or even a missionary. But every believer is called to be Christ's representative, to be Christ's witness to a lost and dying world. That's what Matthew 28, 19 says. Jesus Christ has no followers who are not under his order of the Great Commission. When he says, make disciples of what? All nations. That's why we have missionaries in Thailand and India and Papua New Guinea. Because it's all nations. And so you, you have to sense that call from Lord. See, we don't determine our own destiny as children of God. We don't mark out our own path. God does it for us. We're just called to simply obey. These are divine orders. And we have to put everything under that. Everything is subservient to the command that God has given us. All of us have been commissioned in some sense. Some officially. But all of us are bound by Christ's call to represent him in this world. He's committed. The believer is committed to obeying the word of God. Well, secondly, what do we see here in verses 5 and 6? He says, he goes on, he says, not only have I given you a divine commission, but he gives them an objective, objective here. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Well, what in the world is Jesus ta- telling these guys? To, he's telling them not to go to certain places? That'd be like me saying, hey, we want you to go out and win the lost. But you know what? I don't want you going down to El Camino. I want you to go over on Rosedale. You'd probably look at me like, what? Are you nuts? See, the disciples were not to go near the Gentiles or the Samaritans. You say, wow, is that, what is that, racist? What, what's going on there? See, at this particular time, Jesus was limiting the gospel to a specific place and a specific people. It wasn't a permanent command. He wasn't saying never go to the Gentiles or never go to the Samaritans. But it really illustrates the way God gives a central focus and a central purpose and a very clear and limited objective. That's why I appreciate so much some of the gentlemen that that come to our church. You know, it's, 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 it's so wonderful. It's fun to sit in an elders meeting. And when we start talking about something, Bob Morata goes, okay, well, what's the objective here? It's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, I don't know, I'm just throwing stuff out on the table. But okay, what's the objective? And he'll draw it back and he'll look. Or Ken will say, well, how does this fit here? Or John, whoever. I mean, you know, we, we work together as a team. And see, some of us don't think that way. But some of you do. Because God has blessed you with that kind of thinking. And so here Jesus is telling them, you know what? I'm giving you a specific plan, a specific purpose. See, the ministry isn't a place for self-styled messiahs. (laughs) It's not a place for somebody just to build up their own little kingdom. That's not what we're about here. There's a lot of people that want to win the world and win it now. And boy, they're just pulling out all the stops and they're just going full bore. And it's so sad to see because their ministry so many times is, you know, the, 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 the width of a, a football field, but it's a quarter inch deep. And they think somehow they're going to reach the world. That's not what Christ tells us to do. Well, what does this relate to here regarding the, the Gentiles? I mean, the Lord wants us to have focus in ministry, but what is he saying here specifically? Go nowhere among the Gentiles. It's interesting because if you look back a couple chapters in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 12, when Jesus entered Capernaum, he was approached by a centurion Gentile whose servant was sick. He was a Roman soldier. He was over the command of a hundred men, and he came, came to Jesus and If you read that in verses 5 to 12 there, Matthew chapter 8, you can really see where Jesus brought not only healing to that Gentile servant, but also salvation to his whole household. And then Jesus said this in verses 11 to 12, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom, Jewish people, shall be cast out. Wow. See, the Lord, even though he stated this to his apostles, he made it clear that he wanted to reach the Gentiles. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it tells us that Jerusalem will carry this gospel message to all nations. That's why they went to the Jews first. To give them the opportunity. But in Matthew, Mark, in Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
So you have to say, well, he's telling them not to do this, but he already did it. He went out and reached out to Gentiles. He also reached out to Samaritans. I mean, do you know who the Samaritans were? The Samaritans were like a crossbreed. I mean, um, they, were, they, were, they were someone who was mixed Jew-Gentile. And the Jewish people just did not get along with them at all. They were considered unclean. And it was an unforgivable crime that they would intermarry, that a Jewish person would intermarry with a, a Gentile person and create this havoc. But isn't that interesting? Because in John chapter 5, Jesus, when he's talking with the woman at the well, the first person recorded in Scripture to whom Jesus announced that he was the Messiah was a Samaritan woman. By the way, she had many husbands. And the husband she was living with at the time, or the man she was living with at the time, was not her husband. So she was not a very nice lady, you might say. But Jesus still reached out to her. And then you think of the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus actually used a Samaritan in one of his illustrations, in his parable. And the Samaritans did a lot of things to really turn the Jews against them, historically. 20 years before the time of Christ, the first century historian Josephus tells us that the Samaritans went into the temple in the middle of the night during the Passover and they threw dead man's bones over the altar. (laughs) I mean, that's a big deal. When you have a temple and you have Jews going there to worship and it's a holy, holy, boy, that's a big deal. And so they didn't help themselves with the Jews. They were kind of antagonistic. But Christ still reached out to them. But he says here that he wants to have their ministry in verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who's that? Israel. The Israelites. I mean, if you've read any scripture at all, you understand that Israel has a special place in God's heart. The Jews were God's sovereign chosen people. The covenants, the promises, and the law were all given to them. Now, granted, they blew it. (laughs) Okay, big time. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. But according to God's plan, they were to be offered the kingdom first. They were to be offered heaven first. They were to be offered salvation first. That's why John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 came and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That meant it was imminent, it was available. And Jesus came and said the same thing. And now here it's Jesus commanding these disciples to give people the same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you stop and think about it, had the Jewish nation embraced the Messiah at the time, they would have really come together around this. But they didn't. They saw him as a threat. John chapter 4 says that salvation is of the Jews. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that it's only for them, but it means that it comes through them. Jesus himself was what? Jewish. Jerusalem was to be where the nations came to see the Messiah. It, It was the place for the launching point of all evangelism to take place. The disciples were to go to the people of Israel first. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One being the apostles' background. I mean, they were hardly equipped to reach their own people, let alone Gentiles and Samaritans. 
And so Jesus was really protecting them in a way. He's like, hey, okay, we've got to reach the whole world. But you know what, apostles? Don't worry about the Gentiles. Don't worry about the Samaritans. Just go to the Jews. Because that's who you are. And they will at least receive you. Whether they'll listen to your message or not, that's still yet to be heard. But for the most part, these men were not equipped to go to the Samaritans or the Gentiles. It's not that God had anything against them. He was protecting his apostles. And that's what you do for people that are going into ministry, right? I mean, when someone says, hey, you know, maybe I'm thinking of, you know, I'd like to help teach Bible study or whatever. I don't just say, okay, yeah, great, go for it. Wednesday night, you got the next 10 nights, next 10 weeks. I I would never do that to somebody. Why? You're setting them up for failure. What would you do? You take them alongside and say, well, what, what do you want to study? What do you want to teach? What, what, do you have an outline? You, and you walk them through it. And then you, you give them a trial balloon. You say, okay, you know what? Let's, let's start here. <laughs> and you, you, you exercise your gift there. And it doesn't matter whether it's teaching or children's ministry or whatever. I mean, even, even over in Fellowship Hall, all the ladies that get together and, and men that cook every week. For the food after church. You know, when someone new comes and says, oh, I want to be part of that. They don't say, yeah, how about it? We get a vacation. Yeah, no, they take them alongside them. They show them where everything is. Maybe they'll, they'll do it the first couple times with them to encourage them. Why? Because they want them to succeed. And so that's what Jesus' commission here is all about. It's a divine commission, but he also keeps that objective central. There's nothing more frustrating than being part of a ministry that doesn't have an objective. That doesn't understand what they're about. It's kind of throwing mud at the wall. You know, and just trying to please everyone all the time and hopefully nobody gets upset. There's very few people that do anything well. So if you do one thing well, you're ahead of the game. And you know, for some of us, that's hard to practice. That's hard to focus on. I'm constantly, every week, saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Limiting, limiting, constantly saying, okay, I don't, you know, I don't know if you want me over there fixing that faucet today in the fellowship hall. You probably don't because I don't have anything for Sunday yet. So maybe I should just spend time here and pray that somehow the faucet gets fixed. Or I'll call Ken or I'll call Bob or whatever. Or we'll hire a plumber and get it fixed. You know, it's hard for me to stay focused sometimes. And it's good to have men around you that say, stay focused. <laughs> if you take care of the depth of your ministry, God says he'll take care of the breadth of it. That's so important. Don't get lost. Don't fall into the trap of just coming to church. Just coming to church It's not necessarily a good thing. You should be coming here on a given Sunday to say, how can I serve the body of Christ? How can I make somebody else's life better? Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a prayer with somebody. Maybe it's it's helping out in a certain area of ministry. Okay, don't think you have to wait for someone to come and ask you because you know what? More than likely, that time will never come. If God has blessed you and gifted you, which he has, if you're his child, he's gifted all of us. And and thank God we're not all gifted alike. We're all different. 
We all have different personalities. We all have different giftings. And yet he's called us together to be one to serve him right here in Redwood City in this small little church to reach out to a lost and dying world that some may be saved. That's what God has called us to do. Do one thing and do it well. That's what Jesus clearly did in his ministry. Well, the last thing here we'll share with this morning, and then we'll close, is in verse 7, he gives them the message. They have their commissioning, they have their objective, and now Jesus says, here's what I need you to say. He says in verse 7, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Pretty simple message. I mean, it would be hard to kind of mess that up. It's not long. I mean, it's pretty much what John the Baptist said, right? And he calls us to declare this message. Well, what does that message mean? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, first of all, think about conversion. Think about entering the kingdom. And then think about when you live out the kingdom in your daily life. Eventually, the kingdom, the Bible says, will come here on earth. Christ will set up his kingdom here on earth, and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. That's what the Bible says. It's amazing. So Jesus taught his disciples that he is Lord and that everyone needs to submit and obey to him. And after his resurrection, Jesus teaches them things pertaining to the kingdom. Here's what's going to happen. Here's a little preview of what's going to happen he's talking to them about. It's so important that our message be clear. It's so important that we don't dilute the gospel. You know, the gospel is a tough a tough sell. It's a hard message to hear. You know, it's not, the gospel is not, oh, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That is not the gospel. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people are saying is the gospel, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is basically you understanding, first of all, that you're a sinner. I mean, that's not a popular thing. I mean, I don't have people running up to me every day saying, Hey, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Will you help me? That never happens. As a matter of fact, sometimes when I tell people, You know what? I need you to understand that you're a sinner. Well, no, wait a minute. You got me confused with my brother George or my brother Ralph or whatever. I'm not me. You know, I'm, I'm good. In comparison to who? How good do you have to be? The Bible tells us how good you have to be. Jesus says, okay, you want to talk about being good? Well, then be perfect as my Father's in heaven is perfect. Got any takers? Anybody here perfect? Perfect. No. See, the message of the gospel is that we're all fallen. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that, you know what? The good news is that Jesus has provided a way out of this mess. That he has provided through his work on Calvary, his death, his resurrection. He provided an answer. He provided payment for our sin, as we've sung about this morning. But we get this message sometimes confused. So the gospel is, you know what? 
you are a sinner. Jesus is the Savior. Are you willing to submit to him? Are you willing to come to him and to say, you know what, Lord? I don't know where else to go. I don't know what else to do. The Bible says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I guess all means all. That includes me. And it says that judgment awaits for those who are sinners. So how do I fix this? Well, God has provided a way out through a Savior. And we, today we confuse that message of the gospel so many times. We get it all mixed up. You know, the message of the gospel is this. And you see, go to the next slide. And here's basically what we do to it. You can't even see Christ in there anymore. You know, we we take the message that is so clear in Scripture and we confuse it with all these other things. And we need to get back and we need to stay committed to the message that Jesus has given us. It's a very clear message. Our message is the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's available through Christ. And it's available to every person. Father, we thank you for our word, your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand our own divine commissioning by you. That you would make sure that our objective personally is clear and central. And that we have our message and that we don't muddy it up with a bunch of stuff that's not from your word. I pray for anyone here this morning who has yet to put their faith or trust in Christ. I pray that you would do that work as only you can in their heart. I pray that you would show them your grace, your mercy, your love in a way that they have never experienced before. Father, that they would truly become undone in and of themselves to realize that there's, there's no way out of this mess other than through the cross of Christ. And Lord, that you require us, you command us to follow you and to obey you. That's not an option that we kind of tag on at the end. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow those hearts that need to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to embrace Christ. I pray that they would do that even this morning in the quietness of this moment. For us who have come to Christ, we know that we're his child. We know that we're forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to us what our objective is, what our commission is, what our message is. And that we, when we leave this building that we would understand that there's a purpose in us coming here on Sunday. It's not just to hear a nice song and hear a message and get pumped up, but it's, it's to take something out of here to a lost and dying world that can literally transform their lives and save them through the message of the gospel. And I pray that that would become a burden, that would be a, a burden on our hearts as a church, that we wouldn't grow cold and comfortable here just to come and sit in church. But Lord, that we would start asking questions. What are we doing in our our community? How are we transforming? How are you using this church to transform this community? And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us to that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. By the way, we do have another way that you can access resources from us here at Graceful Truth. Simply download our brand new app. As you go to the App Store, simply look for Grace Bible Church-CA. Free and ready for download on Android and OS App Stores. Thank you so much for taking advantage of these resource materials. It's our hope and prayer that you are using them for your further growth in Christ. Again, simply go to the App Store and look for Grace Bible Church-CA and download our app today. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.